is he's operating in the principles of, of giving and receiving, sowing and reaping, uh, confession, uh, right thinking, right attitudes. If he's operating in all of those things, yet he doesn't have a covenant with God, how much more can the body of Christ be blessed in every single area of our lives, knowing that we've got a covenant with the creator of the universe? We God owns the cattle on a thousand hill. Our God walks in streets of gold. Our God created our body and is also our healer of our body. Our God is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. If you're born again, if you've received the Holy Spirit, you've got the Helper, the, the, the one who will go right beside you and live and She'll not want just be with you, but shall be in you, the very helper, the standby, the go-between, the Holy Spirit of God helping us and aiding us and reminding us of all the things Jesus said and, and becoming the light of the souls. How much more? Should the body of Christ operate in the blessing of the Lord in every area of our lives? Man, the Lord is operating under and receiving because they put into law and into motion the, the laws of giving, receiving, confession, and all those things, and it works for them, but it doesn't work in the church very often. I'll tell you why, because we're not taking the principles of the Lord and putting them in operation in our lives. So tonight I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, just some real basic stuff, and I'm going to talk to you tonight about soul salvation. Soul salvation. And I just want to start in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. The Bible says that God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, so God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. 
Will it be the foundation God has created mankind in his image? And will image means a, a replica. It means a one who is molded after. I drive in the parking lot right now a Nissan Rogue. It is a Nissan Rogue. It is equal with the Nissan Rogue that's on the showroom floor right now. But it is a replica of the original. When they, when they got in their mind and their imagination, we're going to build a car, we're going to call it the, the, the Nissan, uh, you know, the Nissan Rogue, they put it down on paper. They imagined it, they had it in their mind, they put it down on paper. They created one in, in the physical. They put one together. They put it through tests. They put it through different practices. They, they checked its fuel efficiency. They checked its safety rating. They checked its horsepower. They did everything. And when they perfected it, they decided we are now going to make this in our own image. In the image of the original, we are going to mass produce the same thing over and over and over again. And that's what God has done to the body of Christ. Mankind was made in his image, in his exact replica. God is spirit. Now, he is spirit. The Bible says, and I'm going to go quickly through some of these scriptures. Uh, could have put a lot of them, so just make some notes if you want to uh, uh, follow along. Um, God is spirit. John chapter 4, 24 says, God is spirit, and I shall worship him, must worship him in spirit and in truth. God's not a spirit, God is spirit. God is spirit, God is life, God is spirit. Now, uh, also, God has a soul. Now, your soul, by definition, is your mind, your will, and your emotions. I want to read just a few scriptures here, just kind of pointing some of these things out, lots of scriptures. But concerning the mind of God, the Bible says in Isaiah 55 and 8, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor my ways your ways, says the Lord. How interesting. God thinks. 
God says the thoughts that I have are not like the thoughts that you have. So God has a realm in which he thinks. Bible says in Jeremiah 29, Bible will talk different places. The hand of the Lord was stretched out. Heaven is his throne. Earth is his footstool. We know that God has a body. We know Jesus was the word made flesh. That is my foundation tonight to get to the topic of soul salvation. Now, God is spirit. We've established that. God has a soul. God, Jesus, has a body, right? You and I were made in the image and the replica of God. That will never change. Every person that's born walking on this earth falls into this category. You are a spirit. That's who you are. Who you really are is spirit. Inside of you, inside of me, that's why if I would die right now, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. My body will be here. You all will come and look at it. Some of you will cry. Some of you will laugh. Uh, but my body will remain. But I won't be here because who I really am is spirit. The Bible says and when God breathed into man, he became a living soul. The word soul there is spirit. It means life. It's not psyche. It's life. He became life. The spirit of God. Man is spirit. But attached to our spirit is a soul. It's separate from, one, from, from the Spirit, but is also intertwined and connected to the Spirit. In your soul is your mind, your thoughts, your will, and your emotions. And all of us who are born on this earth have a body. Okay? Now here's the interesting thing about the Spirit, soul, and body. When you become born again, your spirit man is regenerated or regenerated, right? You, your spirit man becomes one with God. Your spirit man is saved. Your spirit man is forgiven. Your flesh is not saved. Your flesh is not forgiven. But neither is your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions, right? That's why when some of us got saved, we began to get in, get in, in doubt and, and think, you know, wonder about things. And some of the old soul thoughts and stuff we had would still come up to us as soon as we were saved. Right? So we are a spirit. We possess a soul. We live in a body. Here's the interesting thing about your soul realm, your mind, your will, and your emotions. Your soul realm is the only thing that connects the spiritual world in your life to the physical world in your life. That's your, your soul realm is the only thing that has really experienced uh, tangibly the pleasures of the flesh and the pleasures of the spirit. That's why when sometimes you hear the, a, a song and it brings back maybe the song that played the day you were born again and you hear that song and for you that's a trigger to you. So you in, inside man you get excited and you get joyous and you get happy and, and that comes from your spirit. Your spirit's rejoicing through the emotions of your soul and it's coming out through physical display through your body. But also when you were a sinner and you had pleasure in the flesh... Your soul participated in the pleasure of your flesh. And so why am I saying all this? Because we are spirit, soul, and body. And Jesus said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. In other words, our spirit are in our born-again state will always go after the things of God. My spirit is saved. It's born again. It's regenerated. It wants to side with the word. It wants to side with the light. It wants to side with God. It wants to go toward Jesus. My flesh is not saved. 
My flesh wants to go toward the sin and the darkness and, and, and the things of the world. My flesh is, is it wants the pleasure of the old man. It's the flesh that rises up. Man, the flesh wants to chew somebody out and, and give them the number one sign when they cut you off in traffic. Man, that's your flesh. Your flesh wants to rise up and, and punch your boss and, and sometimes in your mind cuss them out and things like that. That's not your spirit. That's your flesh. But your spirit wants to bless those who curse you. Your spirit wants to tell them, guys, you don't have to live this way. Let me lead you to Jesus. Your spirit is always willing for the things of God. Your flesh is always disobedient and diswilling for the things of God. That means in every decision of life, there is a three-member vote. Your spirit will always vote with the way of God. Your flesh will always vote the way of your world. And so the deciding vote in every instance in your life will come through your mind, through your thoughts, through your will, and through your emotions. It will come through your soul. That's why it's so important, man, that we got our mind right and got our soul right. That's why we got to get in the Word and get our, our thinking right. Because every decision we make, the, the winner of that decision, whether it's God or whether it's flesh, whether it's your spirit or whether it's your flesh, the decision will be made by whatever the way that your soul casts its vote. The way that your mind has thought on the situation will tell you to walk in victory or to walk in defeat. Your mind, your soul will tell you to either walk in faith or to walk in unbelief. Your soul will remind you of the word of God or it will remind you of your present current situation. Your soul is what ties those things that are in the spirit and brings it manifest into our physical. It, that's how it happens. Listen to what Jesus says. Jesus in Mark 11 says this. He says, have faith in God. For I say unto you, whoever prays and believes they've received, they shall have whatsoever they say. Now, why is this important? Because in your soul realm, you will develop thoughts, right? When your thoughts stay there and you continue to ponder and think on things, it becomes a stronghold inside of you. It becomes something that cannot be shaken. It becomes just a way of life. We call it lifestyles and personality traits, but really it's not. It's a soul tie. It's either good or bad, but it's something you've downloaded into your thoughts, your will, and your emotions. And so what happens is when something comes up and rises against you, your soul will decide which way you go. And so Jesus said, you're going to have whatever you say. Whatever you think in your mind is what will come out of your mouth. I've got scripture for it. The Bible says out of the abundance of a man's heart. That's what comes out of his mouth. His mouth speaks. If you listen to someone long enough, you'll know where they are in life. I can spend five minutes with you and tell if you're going to be successful or tell if you're going to be destroyed. And it's by what comes out of your mouth. Because you can put on an act and change some different things and, and put on a pretty face. But if you let someone talk long enough, man, it's, it's, it, you let someone talk long enough, you know what's in their heart. As a salesman, they teach me this one thing. That if, uh, the best salesmen ever are the ones who shut up and don't say nothing. <laughs> they don't. Man, you ever see someone, some car salesman coming up to you and just jabbering his jaws? Man, you might as well go on because he don't know what he's talking about. 
Why is that important? Because he has understood that if I am quiet and I allow you to speak, I can now begin to know where your heart is. I know what your triggers are. I know if you're ready to buy. I know if you're concerned about safety, if you're concerned about gas efficiency, or if you're concerned about performance, or if you're going through a midlife crisis and have to have, you know, the, 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 the cars like the kids, right? Nothing against that, but he listens, right? He listens to that. And so when you begin to listen to someone out of their heart is what will be out of their mouth is what's in their heart. And what's in their heart will tell you how their mind is, what's in their mind, where their thinking is, right? Man, you know, it's funny when you minister to people, it becomes funny because they'll say things like, well, I'm standing on the word, I'm believing the word, I'm speaking the word, I'm praying the word, and we know the word works. But then they'll ask, but what do you do when the word doesn't work? Out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth just spoke that the word doesn't work. So somewhere in your heart, you don't really believe that the word works for you in every situation. Oh, you believe that it works for others. I'm not saying you deny the power of God. I'm not saying that we deny that God can do it. But I'm saying you deny the fact that God has done it, hath already done it for you. That he wants you blessed. That he wants you healed. That he wants you to walk in peace and joy. God wants that for you. But what happens is we get all messed up in our soul realm and see what we'll do is we'll quote these pretty scriptures that we've learned. Well, by his stripes I am healed. And we'll stand it and we'll look pretty and we'll say those things until the sickness, the disease, the oppression comes. And then you get around that person and you'll know within five minutes what they really believe in their heart. Because it's not about saying the right things. Can I tell you how you become born again and how faith becomes activated in your life? You can't just be saying the right things, and you can't just be thinking the right things. The Bible says that salvation comes by this. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God, right? And the Bible says that uh, a man must believe unto righteousness, and then confession is made unto salvation. If your words aren't lining up with what's in your heart, you can't have what's coming out of your mouth. But if your heart's not lining up with what's coming out of your mouth, you can't have what's coming out of your mouth either. We've got to get our soul realm, our thoughts, our mind, our will, and our emotion lined up with what is coming out of our mouth. Because listen, man, that's how the kingdom of God is released and operated. You can stand there all day long and quote scripture. There are men today who are going to hell that can quote more scripture than I probably can. But it has become a letter of the law to them. In their heart, they have not accepted the truth of the word. They have not embraced it. They have not put it in their heart. So they can say whatever they want to say. But if it doesn't line up with the heart, their words are are of none effect. And so we can say, well, we want to be a church of 500. We can say that with our mouth all day long. But our, our words and our actions will line up with what our heart really says. Because that's the way humans operate. Your thought life, man, between your ears is where your biggest battle will ever be. It can't be from the enemy coming against you because greater is he that's in me than he that's that's in the world. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. So it can't be an attack of the enemy. The Bible says in Colossians that the enemy has been disarmed and, and, and all principalities and powers have been disarmed and they're under the authority of Jesus, right? I'm in Christ. So it can't be an attack of the enemy that's my biggest struggle. My biggest struggle is the mind that's between my ears. 
Because listen, the way that the devil comes against a born again believer isn't necessarily through any other way than through your mind. Because he knows that we have the authority now that he lost. We've got the authority of Christ. And so if he begins to get in our mind and get our thoughts messed up, he'll get our mouth messed up and he'll get our actions messed up. And if you look at your life where you are right now, if you trace it back, it is a direct result of your words and your thoughts and your actions because what you think becomes an emotion. And whatever your emotion is becomes an action. And whatever your action is gives you the results. Amen. What happens is, is we begin to judge fruit in the things on the surface, right? So what we do is we'll look at a tree and we'll say, well, this tree isn't really producing much fruit for me, this apple tree. So what we'll do and, and, and what most people do is they'll go out and they observe the fruit. I only see two apples on my tree. My tree is not producing for me. And so they'll be upset. I don't know why there's not more fruit. And they go around all day talking about the fruit. And they'll call up their, 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 hand, their, their green thumb friends and ask them, man, what do I do to get more fruit? How come your tree has more fruit? My tree, man, it's, it, my tree should have as much fruit as your head. So everyone's focusing on the fruit. But the problem isn't within the fruit. The problem is always within somewhere in the root. The problem with the tree is always really underneath the surface. It's the thing that you can't see. Your heart will always determine the fruitfulness of your life. Your heart is determined by the thoughts that you and I have in our mind and the things that we ponder on, right? And so what we're doing is we're looking at people's fruit. And listen, I'm not saying that we don't, uh, can, can I say we don't judge people, but we do judge spirits? Is that okay to say? I don't judge a person necessarily, but I do judge a spirit and, and I do judge uh, what, you know, uh, but all the time what I'm trying to say is this, is what we'll do is we'll say, well, real condescendingly so often, I don't judge them, but I sure do. God has called me to be a fruit inspector. <laughs> right? Come on, man. Yeah, I know you've heard it. Man, God's called me to be a fruit inspector and it ain't lining up right? And so what you begin to do is you're looking at the person's fruit, right? So you're calling up your friends and you're calling up your neighbors and you're talking about the people and you're spreading gossip and you're spreading rumors and now you're mad at that person and you can't, won't take your eyes and your focus off of their fruit. See, you become a fruit inspector and God wants us to be root inspectors. See, God wants you to go in brotherly love and say, man, listen, what your theology, what you're thinking is wrong. God is good all the time. God always causes me to triumph. God has blessed me and not cursed me. Man, I, if you begin to get in the word, you begin to cringe on the inside when someone misrepresents or misspeaks God. Right? Um, well, God must have taken him home early because he needed another angel. I'm not an angel. <laughs> They're not an angel either. Listen, I'm not saying that situations in life doesn't happen, but what I'm telling you is the only reason you've based that is because somewhere you've got a wrong thought in your head and it's not truth. And anything that's not a faith is a sin. Amen? And so that's why we're so messed up. We have a soul. We are a spirit that has a soul. Right? We live in a body. The, uh, let me give this example real quickly. It's, it's, it teaches us the power of our thoughts. A husband and wife almost got divorced. Um, they had been married for about 12 years and couldn't get along and uh, almost ended their marriage. And uh, come to find out the biggest thing that they fought about was money. So 
they went and they began to think about this and, and see, so we all look religious, but we've all had these conversations, right? And, and so, you know, money's a big deal. Man, if someone tells you money doesn't matter, yes, it does matter. Money does matter. It does, and that's the number one leading cause of divorce, both in Christian homes and, and in, in America and around the world, is money. And so it's amazing. They began to go the counseling and, and things like that, and, and it was a great counselor, man, good Christian counselor they went to, and uh, they began to talk about their past life with money, right? And so this woman goes, and um, she's talking, and it's amazing because she says, this is what I remember about money growing up. They go, buy me an ice cream cone. Well, she'd go to her mom, and her mom told her, Honey, women don't ever have the money. Your your daddy, men always hold the money. And so, I didn't say that. I'm repeating the story, so don't be mad at me about that. But listen, she would go to her daddy. Her daddy would give her the quarter. She would take the quarter to the ice cream man. He would give her the ice cream. She would give him the quarter. Two things developed in her thought life. They weren't her thoughts. They were passed down to her from someone else. Two things. Number one, a woman can never have money and shouldn't ever have money. That's a thought she developed. I, I know it's funny, but I mean, man, this is serious. She developed that thought. The second thing she developed was this, is that money is pleasure. Well, money's not pleasure. Money can buy you pleasure, but money's not pleasure. Her husband grew up differently. His dad was a builder. So he, what his dad would do is his dad would go out and he'd buy a property and go in massive debt. He'd buy a bunch of land, build a bunch of houses, and spend the next couple of years selling off the property and the houses, right? And so when he would do that, they would be poor for two or three years, and then they'd be rich and very prosperous for two or three years. So he got tired of being poor in the, between those times, so he developed a thought in his life, money is security. Well, money is not security. Money is money. Money can provide peace and security sometimes, but money is not security. And so he, in his mind, he developed the thought that money is security. Now, isn't this just a messed up couple to get together with those two different backgrounds, right? Because she would go and she equated money as pleasure. And she also was taught women can't have money. So if you gave that woman $10, if you gave her $10,000, she coming home with nothing, Jack. She's not coming home with anything. Women can't hold on to money. She's doing this subconsciously. She doesn't even know she's doing it. She's not planning this out. She's coming back broke as a joke, spending every dime she has because money buys her pleasure and women can't hold on to money. And so he, on the other hand, is a hoarder because money is security. And so he's holding on to the money. So she goes to him, husband, can I have the money to go buy new shoes? He says, no. She gets mad at him because he's taking away her pleasure because money to her is pleasure. So she takes money anyway and goes and buys three pairs of new shoes instead of the one. And he's mad at her because she's taking away his security. She wasn't taking away his security. He wasn't taking away her pleasure they had a bad thought life that developed everything else in their life. Man, that is the power of the thought realm in your life. Your biggest problems are going to come under the surface in the way that you are thinking, in the thoughts that you are meditating on, on the things that you think on. So what do we do? What do, we do? The Bible tells us, it says uh, in Romans 12, 1 and 2, it says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Now, how are we going to do that as the body of Christ? I mean, really, 
how are we going to do that? Talking about how messed up our flesh is and some of our thoughts are wrong and all this. Well, he tells you in verse 2, he says, don't be conformed to the world. Don't, you're, you weren't made to replicate the world. You were made to replicate me. So be transformed from what you, what you were into my image. How? By renewing your mind. He said, you're going to have to start thinking on other things and it's going to start in your mind. You're going to have to think on things. The Bible says in John 6, 63, it says, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. So listen, what Jesus says there is this, is we see two things. We see number one, that your only way out to be in your, in our situation is to begin to change our thought life and change our thought pattern, right? We're going to have to change the way we're thinking. How do we change the way we're thinking? We've got to put something else before our eyes. It's, it's, it's like reprogramming a software in your brain. You've got to get your mind off of things that you grew up. Listen, man, I, when I say I grew up Baptist, I grew up old school Baptist, okay? Meaning if a woman wore pants in church, she wasn't allowed in. Are you, I mean, are you here? I mean, man, we're talking, we're talking bad. Women do not testify. They do not sing. They're allowed to teach our little children, and that's it. Because women should be under the men's feet, right? And, and I grew up seeing those things. Well, you know what's awful is, is later on in, when I first got saved, man, that's all I knew. So I began to do that to my own wife. I did. I began to try to push her down because I felt like this is what's right. But guess what? I was wrong. How did I change? I, I got in the Word and I said, "My, they no one else treating women like that in the Bible. So I began to get in the Word and I began to change. I, I, I found a, a place where someone, I went in, I'll never forget when I, the first time I went to a Word of Faith church from the Baptist. Uh, and, and I accidentally, uh, well not accidentally, but uh, I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and was asked to leave the uh, Baptist church and uh, went to a Word of Faith church. And, and the interesting thing, my first time there, and, and I believe with all my heart it was a God thing, uh, the pastor, uh, pastor's wife, uh, she preached that night. And I'm, oh my goodness, what have I gotten into? Because I still had these thoughts, right? They were ingrained in me. They became my personality. And I would fight you over it. You could not change my mind from because this is the way. How do you know? Man, I was raised right. I'm a King James only, hymnal only, singing, choir, robe wearing. I mean, man, this is who we were, right? Man, we don't, we don't even have a baptistry, man. We went out to the rivers, the creeks, and things like that because we weren't bringing the world into our church. <laughs> you know? I mean, really, man, that's how I was raised. And so it took me a while. So what I had to get around other people, and I had to begin to get in the Word. And I, I had to decide, listen, I've got to make a decision and do something in my mind. I can continue to go the way that I've always been taught, or I can find it in the Word. And the amazing thing is when I began to get in the Word, not only did I find that was an incorrect thought, but I also found out that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not of the devil. I didn't get a bad spirit, right? I learned that tithing isn't just a law thing. It's not just an Old Testament thing. So as I began to see these things that, that, that were different and came against my theology and my thinking... I had to begin to change myself and change my thoughts. So I would go and take these, these scriptures and I would put them before me and I, every day I would meditate on the Word. I'd pull over from my job. I'd, I'd pull over on that. And that's what I did, man. I stuck with the Word. The same thing over and over and over and over again. And I didn't even perceive the change within my life 
Others began to tell me about it because it seemed like such a slow process to me. But others would begin to say, man, you're a lot kinder to your wife now. They noticed, right? I mean, people noticed, and I don't even live with them. I thought I put on a pretty good front for two hours on Sunday, right? But even they could tell. The, the way that the way I, I put my you know put things on and things like that they could tell I was kinder they could tell that I wasn't legalistic and, and the amazing thing is, is is as a Baptist we were taught you know once once in grace always in grace but we hated everybody <laughs> you know everything was a sin you couldn't do nothing when I was growing up right but we were taught man ain't nothing you can do to lose you know so I had to get in the word. I had to find out for myself what the scripture says. The Bible says in Joshua 1 it says, The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you will observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will, uh, will make your ways prosperous, and you will have good success. The Bible tells us that the way to a prosperous life, the way to a changed life, is when we begin to meditate on the word. I'm almost finished. Uh, You come and get us a a song. Just play for us real quickly. I've got two more scriptures and I am going to turn it off. In James chapter 1 verses 19 through 26, it says, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. The word soul here um, is psyche. It means your mind, your will, and your emotions. The word, the implanted word is able to save your soul. And he says there, but be ye doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks in the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Last scripture, and then I just want to say a couple closing things. Second Corinthians ten three through 6, it says, For though we walk in the flesh... We do not war according to the flesh for the weapons of our warfare. They're not carnal. They're not fleshly, but they're mighty in God. Listen, for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. My favorite part right here, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. This is why I wanted to read those scriptures back to back. Because your answer is in the word of God. And we've got to get to this place where we believe the word of God because it is the word of God and that's it. I can't say that I believe in healing because that is a doctrine of this church. I have to believe in healing because the Bible says by his stripes I am healed. I can't begin to believe on things because I can't live on your faith. And that's why in the body of Christ, man, I'm not getting on to anybody. I'm really not. Man, God's been speaking to Mr. and to me on this. But listen, man, can I tell you why the word works for some people and it doesn't work for others? Because some people are doers of the word and believe the word and others don't. Others are professors and some are believers. And so the Bible says here that we've got to get in the word. And when you get in the word, it's like a mirror. It's going to show me who I really am. 
Man, the Word is constantly changing me. I'm never going to have it all together until I'm with Him face to face. I'm always going to have areas for improvement. I'm always going to have areas that I can get better. I'm always going to have areas where I can grow. How dare I think I've arrived and quit working for the kingdom? How dare I stand back and act like it's someone else's job to do this or that? Because we treat Christianity and church membership like they're jobs. Like they're jobs and positions instead of ministries and callings. Because we're so focused on me and not focused on others that it becomes a job. And how am I going to get promoted? And how am I going to get a platform? And how am I going to get a microphone? And how's my name going to be there? And let me tell you, man, those thoughts come all the time. Man, I I saw the way they looked at you. Man, it's hard to tell what they're thinking about you. They ain't thinking nothing about you, but you just received that thought down into you, so now you're mad at them. Now there's friction between you two that wasn't ever there to begin with because you placed it there. Now the Bible says this, in the last verse of 2 Corinthians, it says this. It says that the Word of God, we don't fight against people. We don't fight against flesh. We don't fight against church members. We don't fight against stuff. Right? We ain't fighting against the government. We ain't fighting against the president. We ain't fighting against people. We're fighting a spiritual battle in our minds. We are fighting a spiritual battle in our minds that has already been won and victorious for you and I. Right? But the Bible says that we are able to pull down these strongholds that have developed in our mind. Man, that's why. My goodness, man, that's why you keep falling over that same sin. It's because you haven't renewed your mind. That's why you're still bound to that same habit. That's why you're still talking about that. That's why that person passed away 20 years ago and you can't ever even, you hate to get out of bed today. No joy, no peace, no hope in your life. Man, I'm not being mean. I'm telling you the truth. Man, it's because you've allowed that thought to to take you captive. And as your thought takes you captive, it develops a stronghold, a fortress, an unpenetrable wall that nothing can get into. So you may be prosperous in your finances and in your body, but man, you're living miserable with no joy, no peace, and no hope. You may have joy, peace, and hope, but you're broke as a joke and you, you know, you're sick all the time. And these are things God promised us. I'm not saying we ain't going to go through things. The Bible says many are the afflictions of the righteous, but it also says he delivered me out of them all. (laughs) And so the word of God here says strongholds are developed based on our thought life. Are you with me? But I love this part. The Bible says that when this thought comes, this is our responsibility. This is how we change things. Very important. Last thing I'm going to say. We've got to take that thought and we hold that thought captive. That thought cannot hold me captive. Every time a thought comes in my mind, I should take that thought and arrest it. Hold it captive and judge that spirit that's behind it. And if it's a spirit that's telling me to run around on my wife, that ain't of God. I take that thought and I hold it captive. And when I hold, what happens when someone gets arrested? They're taken before a judge and they're accused of whether they're guilty or they're not guilty. The Bible tells us here to take every thought that tries to rise up in your mind and change your situation. Every single thought, grab it, arrest it, take it captive and put it on trial right there. Who's the judge? The word. (laughs) So when when, when you get that bad report from the doctor, man, and and at times we all have have had a bad report. So the bad report comes and immediately the thought begins to come in your mind. I'm not going to make it. I'm going to die. My daddy and my granddaddy had it. I'm never going to make it past this. Those thoughts begin to come. 
And when that thought comes, you've got to grab hold of that thought and say, wait a second, that's not of God. God doesn't curse me. God wants me to have long life and be proud. I am placing judgment on that thought. And I am commanding you on the authority of the word of God and in the name of Jesus Christ to leave my mind now. And you can only do that if you've got the word on the inside of you. Because you've got to replace that thought and say, my standard for thinking and living today is that by his stripes I am healed. My standard of living today is that I am blessed and not cursed. My standard of living today day is that I've been blessed in all spirit, with all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. You've got to take your thought life and arrest your thoughts, man. I wish there were an easier way to do it, but there's not. There's not an easier way to do this. You've got to reprogram and rethink your mind. But I promise you that if you do, if you'll take the word of God and you'll change your mind to begin to get in that and begin to meditate on that, it'll begin to bubble up. Joyce Meyer said this, she got saved and she was still a smoker. I'm not going against smoking, I'm telling you a story. She was still a smoker when Joyce Meyer first got saved. She didn't want to smoke, she was convicted of it. So Joyce Meyer began every day to get a, to, to get a scripture. And every day she said, I'd be driving down the road, puffing on the cigarette, saying, I hate these things in the name of Jesus. I've been set free in the name of Jesus from this addiction. Every day, man, she's still smoking, right? She's smoking and making that her confession. She said it took her about two weeks, but one day she woke up and just had no desire anymore. This is someone who got saved, but their soul was still the old soul. Their habit was still the old habit. Their action was still the old action. Their emotion was still the old emotion. What did she do? She didn't wave a magic wand. She began to speak the word to that situation over and over and over. And can I tell you, it wasn't just that somehow the power of the word caught up with what she was saying. It was somehow she began to say it one time and she believed it. And when she finally heard what she was saying and she believed it, out of her heart, her mouth spoke. And when her mouth began to speak the word of God out of her heart full of faith and belief, the word instantly was activated in her life. Amen. That's how it still works for you. And I stand to your feet this evening. Listen, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, we want to open up the altar and uh, give you an opportunity to come and accept him uh, as your Lord and Savior. Listen, you can never be good enough to earn his grace and earn his mercy and earn his forgiveness. Jesus Christ himself became sin for you and I. He went to a cross and suffered the, suffered the penalty for you. And he has given you and I an opportunity to, be, to become one with the Father through the sacrifice of his son. Amen. If you're here and, and you need special prayer, we invite you to come up for that as well. But I'm going to ask you tonight, as we sing a song, for you just to meditate and begin to search out your own heart. Because I think this is good for all of us. Amen. It's good to really begin to listen to your mind and, and hear what you've been thinking. And man, evaluate your life. Look at your life, man. If, if there's an area of your life that's not lining up with the Word of God, you can trace it all the way back to your thought life. There may be, have been some, some, some bad teaching in your life, some bad church in your life, some bad people in your life, and, and I'm sorry that you had to go through that. But listen, God is good and God is faithful. So you've got to begin to point your direction, your attention back to the Word of God. You've got to let the power of the Word of God change your situation. And if you stick with the Word, I'll tell you this. I'm not one of those guys that will say this. Well, what if the Word doesn't work? The Word always works. The Word always works. It's forever settled in heaven. It's a closed book issue. Amen. So as we sing a song this evening, evaluate your heart. If you need special prayer, if you want to receive Jesus as your Savior, we invite you as well.
Dance away. 